Welcome to Intercom Product. I'm joined by Paul, our Head of Product, our Chief Product Officer. Hey, Paul. Hey, Des. And because this is a special roundup, we've brought in Emmett, our VP of Design. Hey, Emmett. Hey, folks. Today, we're going to talk about 2023, the year that was. I know we're a bit late doing that. Uh, we'll look back on the highs, lows, and weird shit that happened. And then we're going to look ahead to 2024 and sort of set some expectations, predictions, and just generally like sort of ideas about what might be happening. We'll start with 2023, a year when obviously generative AI ruled the roost. It was really very little airtime for any other topic. When every failing startup strapped the letters AI to its name and every boring incumbent decided to lean heavily on it to try and make themselves sound interesting. Let's start with what was your software moment of 2023, Paul? What 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 made you excited this year? Just gone. Yeah, uh, it's hard to get away from AI. You know, every um, presentation you see, end of year wrap up, it's all generative AI. That that's mine too. So like you know, the end of 22 was um, ChatGPT, uh, and then I can't remember exactly when it was in 2023. But whenever um, OpenAI launched their Vision API, what preceded the Vision API, I think it was a demo yeah. by Greg Brockman where he showed like, hey, this thing can see, mm-hmm. and uh, that was incredible. Like you know, it could recognize photos, it could answer questions. Uh, it was just such an obvious um, step forward, massive step forward in capability. Uh, I then ended up, like, you know, it just changed how I think about it too. Like, I ended up having what I was calling my first AI holiday, where, like, myself and my family, you know, my wife and kids went to Seville in Spain. And it was the first time that I was actually just walking around the city, like, what's this? Translate that, you know? Yeah. And some of that stuff was possible before with Google Translate and so on. But, like, I literally had a camera on my phone that could now. Interpret. do ai things you know what i mean yeah and it literally changed how we moved about the city and the choices we made the restaurants we went to or didn't like um it, it's the beginning of something huge were you at google when glass was launched uh no i think it launched after i left did like did like why do you think that like you were more keen to like pull out a phone than like say like you know why didn't glass work like this or I think I think well, it's an interesting conversation we should unpack uh, in a bit. I think glass was maybe the right form factor at the wrong time. Right. I mean by that is like you see Facebook doing things now, like the um, Ray Bans, and I think that could be big. Yeah. But back then, you know, it was like buy this kind of Google pair of glasses, kind of yeah. nerdy. You know, um, it, it might have been just way the right idea way ahead of its time. All I really remember demoed from glass was like okay google take a picture or some shit like that like it wasn't i don't think the software is there either like, i was gonna say i don't think the software 10, 10, is there years yeah yeah over i was at google during glass actually and in google x when glass was being developed for what it's worth um so maybe we should ask the you the software was pretty good i mean it did, it did yeah there you go <laughs> it did have rumors. a lot i blocked it all out at the stage um I mean, the software was there. It had things like directions. You could search the web, get answers, things like that. Like a lot of what you could do on your watch today or on your, or a few years ago at least, or on your smart speaker with, with a small visual, you could do, yeah. Right. Why? I, well, no, I, I guess I'm just curious. Like he describes an AI holiday and walking around uh, a city, like yeah, being yeah. able to see. And it was just like, feels like we've had many uh, swings at that yeah, in some yeah, sense. Yeah. What about you? What was your sort of breakout moment for 2023? Um, in an effort to uh, not give Paul's answer and the obvious answer, which is AI and all the associated stuff, uh, I'm actually going to give my real answer. Mm-hmm. So the most kind of excited and enthralled I got from software this year was a game, a video game, Tears of the Kingdom by Nintendo. Um, and now I'm kind of obliged to explain why as you really, I'm getting yeah, like this yeah. left weird left field answer. I'll give you like 60 seconds. To uh, make that make all right. Sense. Okay. <laughs> let's see what I can do. Uh, it's a sequel. And first of all, they spent like 
five years on the first version of the game and then seven years on the sequel, even though it was the same fundamental kind of um, model and system of the game. It's fantastically well designed, but it's amazing to see what seven years of polish actually does for something. And it's not just the craft, it's the depth and complexity and the entire system of how all the different you know, things you have in your inventory, power-ups, things like that, work together in perfect balance and harmony. So, so uh, as well, finally, as well as I, I would say, is like a bunch of fairly foundational breakthroughs in terms of how physics systems work and all of the very smart puzzles they were able to do. Finally, is this on the handheld? Like years this? old, already underpowered hardware is a massive technical achievement. Yeah, handheld that you can dock your yeah, Switch yeah. and play on your TV yeah. as well. Give us an example of the physics puzzle. Like, what, what, what's like... Like maybe a very long, you could imagine like a rope bridge or something like this. And these are things that are notorious. If you pick up a rope in the middle, the end of it acts very differently. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's very hard to, in physics, uh, simulate computationally that, right? simulate yeah. all that. They managed to figure out how to do it because they spent seven years perfecting the engine on top of the previous five. And, yeah. and that was on the shoulder. Do you know what, well. what engine is it on? A proprietary, yeah, oh, right, totally okay. proprietary. I, would have thought, I have watched yeah. like Japanese language game developer conference videos trying to like <laughs> learn more about how they just because I like, became mildly obsessed with the game and how they designed and built it. Uh, and so it's like lots of cool in house stuff they use for designing wow. levels and things like that. Yeah, do you have any hot take on like it's a very different way of building software to what we typically do and what's expected in our industry, which is like ship to learn, iterate fast, learn hard. They should be on Zelda 11 by now in Maybe, our world. Maybe, yeah, 100%, or, or Zelda release patch 11 or something <laughs> yeah. like that, which would just totally take the magic out of the thing. It's a fundamentally different type of thing, although lots of software and games now exist, like with monthly updates, the way that you're describing. But maybe the reason it stood out to me is it's just like super refreshing to see software that isn't iteratively done. I'm obviously a huge fan of the benefits of iterative software development, but it's kind of nice to see the exact opposite approach yeah. executed so well as well yeah. that's fascinating um okay what about if we go the other direction um where like maybe low light is too strong a word but where do you think you know our industry often gets criticized for like losing a run of ourselves hype bullshit like um you know whether it's like anything from like gamification to blockchain to like social local mobile whatever mm. um what's the downside of ai do you think like have we gone to, is there areas where we've gone too far Personally, I think it's maybe a bit too early to say we've gone too far. Uh, but I will say like some of them, uh, even internally, I'm not making a comment on the industry at large or launches. As we internally and on our design and product team have, have worked with us, I've noticed that we're figuring out it's very easy to come up with great applications and misapplications for AI. And some of the misapplications that I think we'll see a lot of products and a lot of features coming out this year, probably already and next year, with those misapplied versions are the ones where maybe it tries to take an infrequent, um, quite structured task and tries to make it easier with AI. So instead of you know going through lots of clicking to set up a very deterministic, let's say, workflow in your product, you could like type a description and have the bot build the workflow for you. The problem with something like that is you have to go and because the output is deterministic and very precise, you have to go and check the work. It's also kind of an infrequent task that you're doing sometimes. And so you don't get a lot of um, time saving at all from doing that in the first place. So I think we're still in that, like figuring out what it's good for and what it's not. Remember like five, six years ago where everyone was like the previous 
hype cycle of bots in conversational yeah. commerce. And there was lots of like, check the weather or order flowers with a yeah, bot. Yeah. And you're like, it's not really what I need to use a bot for. And so even within products or applications of AI, I think we'll find the good and bad uh, yeah. applications. What's, uh, out of curiosity, what's the calculus there? Like I always felt, well, check the weather, like, I mean, you're basically telling, writing the words, check the weather, but like that's more characters than typing weather.com. You know, like, so I always felt it was like a, it was, you know, optimizing the wrong part of the experience yeah. or whatever, right? And, like, and many uh, fewer taps than tapping the weather. Yeah, app, I, I, right? I and, ex exactly. And, and, and that's a daily thing that I yeah. tend to do as well. And so having to like type out all of those characters, and, and that's a very basic one, like yeah. number of taps is probably a, a, a good starting point. So, so like um, the anatomy of a misapplication of AI just would be something like you need like, is it about determinism of the of the output? Is it about precision of the input? Like, you know, like where where do you not want to see your designers applying AI? Yeah, pr probably in that thing. So, a, I think the current AI tools we have are have really opened up the possibility space for the input user input. Like, you can throw a bag of words at the thing, a couple of sentences, and it can do a lot with it. I think we have a lot of work on the product side left on the output side, making the output of that, if it's anything more than just like a couple of paragraphs of text, which is often not super useful for workflows. Um, we need to do more product work to actually to create that output experience. So yeah, I think you saw that like with, with previous voice assistants as well, like in the end, things like Alexa, Siri and the Google One Assistant are for like, what, alarms, checking the weather, play a song. Play a song. That's yeah. pretty much it. I bet that's like 80% of the uses, right? Yeah. And that's because those are the outputs that work really well, right? Yeah. The, the, it, it, the, the, the feedback is instant and you understand precisely what was done. It's also pretty unambiguous input as well, right? Like, as in it's pretty probably, unambiguous input. I think yeah, those systems yeah. can handle a lot more output, sorry, input, yeah. more complicated commands than to set an alarm but probably still a lot of the work that needs to be done there is on the output side, yeah, I would imagine, yeah. still. So yeah. to answer your question, Des, uh, the areas to avoid are probably the ones where getting the output to be extremely correct, precise, deterministic, yeah. no mess-ups. Yeah. If anything goes wrong, uh, it's a disaster. Those are the areas where you will still people still see people doing a lot of manual clicking, I think, to, the, to get their work like, There's an interesting, I'm sorry to go so deep in this, I just think it's interesting and relevant, like, uh, like I've seen a lot of um, tools, like say Kittle is one of these, like, you know, give a text description of, of the image you want generated and it'll mm -hmm. produce a pretty high-end like SVG of like a, an image that you can then play with it, edit, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to think about like, you know, that works when you have a relatively like um, broad spectrum of acceptability. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you get into like, no, no, this really has to look like the rest of my product. Before you know it, you're back to draw, drawing rectangles yeah. and changing colors, right? Like, And anyone who's played with Midjourney will tell you, it's like awesome if you're like, I don't know, a panda on a skateboard and it yeah. gives you like yeah, that images that you didn't panda have in your head, right? Yeah. But if you have a precise image in your head and you're trying to get the thing to create it, i.e. a deterministic output that you're trying to create, then it's really frustrating and kind of doesn't work. Oh, right? totally. And then I, I also had um, Victor Ripperbelli from Synthesia yeah. on. He was describing like the other frustration is like the the slot machine experience of generative AI, which is just like a panda on a skateboard and you're like, you get that and you're like, you're happy, but like, I wanted a red skateboard. Then you get a totally different panda on a yeah. totally different skateboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The skateboard might be red, but everything else is gone. It's just like, cha-ching, what yeah. happens now? 
it's so like uh, anyway there's an interesting sort of um like a kill zone for like at least for like in b2b uh targeted ai features where it's you know like i often give the workday example like well-known fact that this is not a fan of workday I don't like using it. I don't like using it to book time off. Mm. I think there's an like the workday version of play that song or set a timer is for me like book October 14th off or yeah. whatever. Uh, it, again, it's like it's precise input and it's pretty easy to verify output uh, and it's, it's not susceptible to misinterpretation. Saying something like design me a chatbot that asks the user to follow and blah. Yes. Like, it's like there's there's too many ways that goes wrong. Yeah. And also there's some other like um mathematics, don't worry Paul, you'll come in a second. <laughs> there's some other mathematics around like um like if the cost of validation is effectively the same as the cost of creation, what are you doing by like you, you know the AI is not helping you a lot. Yeah. If you have to go and read the entire screen to work out, did this thing do the thing I wanted it to do? Yeah. That starts to eat into the productivity gain that you got by just typing in a, a simple input paragraph, yeah. right? I'll tell you what's a good example of what you're just talking about is that uh, you mentioned the specific example of like telling a chatbot to create yeah. a chatbot for you, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, which is how custom GPTs, the open AI yeah. product works, right? You go to a tab and you're like, and I, the first time I used it, I was like, oh my God, it's a natural language bot training UI. Yeah. There's a big thing and you're chatting to the bot about the bot you want it to be basically, right? But then you flip to the other tab and you realize that it was a bit of a Wizard of Oz switcheroo because there's a load of like form fields under the actual, like what you're actually creating is filled out multiple form fields that are a lot more structured and broken out. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, oh, the hell with chatting to the bot. I'm just going to go straight to the actual output that the bot is creating, right? Um, So a lot of the times we'll have maybe thin wrapper translation layers around actual, actual drop getting, yeah, getting yeah. the job done and and sometimes you're like you know what it's quicker to know what i'm creating and just create it yeah. myself yeah there's like some parallel with like early, you know like in the um a lot of windows apps back in the day used to have like you know simple mode or dummy mode or whatever mm. and then advanced mode mm. and it feels like mm. you know that might be something we end up re- rebuilding okay we might come back to this topic uh paul what where do you think we lost the run of ourselves in 2023 in terms of either overhyping or over-criticizing or like just, just too much extreme opinion? Yeah. Um, just to set the context for what I'm going to say, um, I think it's, it's unquestionable to me that we're at the start of this new S-curve. But, you know, like technology um, happens in waves every five to ten years in the kind of current cycle. Last one would have been mainly smartphones. I think it's really clear that the smartphone curve is like, you know, look at mm. the iPhone, Android, yeah. the phone, for, the form factors, it's all the same. So we've kind of like, we're, at yeah, the we're top plateaued, of plateaued. And so now this, whatever we end up calling it in the future, generative AI, AI, it's really clear to me that we're at the bottom of this uh, new S-curve. And I think the S-curve includes not just generative AI, but I think it also includes different types of devices. Okay. And so like um, we saw, like obviously we'd watches come out a few years ago, yeah. but now this year we saw like um, Rewind, yeah. you know, the AI startup had a pendant. Yeah. Um, we mentioned the glasses, the Ray-Bans from um, Facebook uh, earlier. Uh, and then the Humane pin came out. Mm. And when it was just fascinating for me to watch the, the launch of the Humane pin. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar, you know, Humane are a company. They're in kind of stealth mode or whatever for a long, long time. And they came out with this wearable. It's a pin you kind of you know, put it in a pocket and kind of sits in a, in a pocket or attaches to your top, whatever. And uh, the amount of hate that generated from from our industry was kind of sad to see. Now, maybe Humane don't have the right form factor, um, but a lot of people were very quick to criticize. 
And um, I think this, there's, there's a lot to this space. So I thought, I, like, you know, it was a kind of a, like, you know, downer. It was actually, yeah. I think it was, it, it, that week, or there was a kind of a two or three week moment where, like, Division, I think Division API launched for sure. Or, or, uh, open AI Dev Day. Dev Day. Yeah, yeah, they Dev Day. The Humane Pin came out. Uh, the Rewind Pen was run at the same time. And Tab, which was a kind of like, um, I guess originally uh, like a, one of those, uh, was it Blackberry Pi or Raspberry Pi? What, what's the device called? Raspberry Pi. Raspberry yeah. Pi, sorry, yeah, Blackberry Pi. That's V2 or whatever. Um, but yeah, Raspberry Pi, like I think some guy, uh, I can't remember his name, but he, he produced a product called Tab, which was effectively like a far cheaper version of, of Humane that I think he would claim has like very similar um, capability. Oh, right. yeah. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, so that, so like, this space, I think this new S-curve that's taken off includes AI, of course, and AI, I'm sure, will be the foundation. But I think we're going to see all sorts of new types of devices and wearables and all sorts of stuff. So like that, I, th- I thought that was like a, th- those few weeks were incredible to watch. That was my kind of real, I'm absolutely certain now, certain yeah. we're at the start of this new S-curve. Yeah. And um, we saw like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. You know, and the humane launch yeah. was kind of the ugly. Yeah. And I, and I, um, I don't think, pe- I, I, you know, it's a sign of the times too, but I, I, I think like good, good, good for them. They tried to do something. They tried a new thing. Um, there will be many. Like if you look back to sort of any of these S curves, totally. you know, it took Google two or three versions of a hardware, an Android hardware device, to really get it right. Like the first one was this kind of like you know flip phone thing, and you know it took it. And like BlackBerry kind of like totally lost the run of themselves and ended up you know reinventing the company. They, they kind of failed. Innovators dilemma stuff. But I think that 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 was um, for me like a, a very insightful moment because. Um, I think there's different ways for people to approach those types of things. And there's something cool going to come out of that space for sure. I think that's definitely true. And I, I often remind people like, uh, you know, people took the piss out of Google Glass. We spoke about it earlier, but like, it's pretty clear we're all going to have some sort of like technology enabled headwear of some sort. Uh, and similarly, like, people took the piss out of Segway. And uh, go to any European or American city and like, you see a lot of people on scooters. You know, it's like, I, I think like there, there are often like, it's like not that these ideas are bad. They might be just early or they might be the right idea. Even at the right time, it might just the V1 of the form factor wasn't what was needed. It was actually the V2 is where you needed to get to or whatever. You know, um, so I think th- there's a lot there. It's also like, you have to remember, like uh, we, we remember the iPhone launch differently to what the actual reaction was. Like it was literally mm-hmm. everyone's taking the piss out of this $700 phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that didn't. What was it? it? Didn't have a hardware a keyboard. It didn't. Didn't I think? Did it not have? Like, it didn't have like 3G. It did. Like, it, there's a lot of shit. It was missing. It didn't have GPS. I don't think. Like, it, it was missing a shitload of things. It didn't have an app store. Obviously, like, and everyone's just like, oh, this thing is like, what? What the hell is the point of this device? And they were all like, um, accurate criticisms that were very, very quickly addressed in future revisions. And then you know, it becomes the most dominant device in the world. To- totally. And even more than that, like, I worked in the mobile team at Google when the iPhone came out. And we literally were like running down the street trying to buy them the first day you could actually buy them. And I remember like going down, getting that first iPhone back to Google, back to the office. And like, um, it was, this sounds stupid now, but phones before that had keys, like a keyboard. And the Blackberry was like phenomenally successful, all the different Blackberries. And I remember like you're, we were tapping the glass and, and like everyone's like, this thing's a piece of shit. Yeah. Like amazing keynote. Steve Jobs, incredible keynote, wow. But no one's gonna, everyone, no one's gonna want this thing. It feels horrible, it's cold, like the glass is horrible and cold and hard and, you know, people want buttons. Yeah. And like, again, like two, three years later, what does the Android look like? An iPhone. Yeah. So, so like, there's versions of this that'll play out for sure and, yeah. 
Did you see the iPhone case that someone released this week that has a key a keyboard in it? Yeah, and, it. And, yeah. and lots of like people who are basically yeah. never saw a BlackBerry in their lives are like, oh my amazing, like a hardware <laughs> keyboard for the iPhone. Which maybe goes to illustrate, I think, part of the point that you're making, which is like timing is everything on these things as well. And so it's it's like hard to tell unless you're a couple of years removed. I, th I think timing and perseverance, like it's interesting contrast to things we talked about so far, like Zelda, you know, software that took a, took years and years and years. Yeah. Hardware obviously takes a lot longer than software to build, get right. Like, you know, Humane launched their, their kind of V1. It's yeah. going to take them a, a year at least, I'm sure, to have a V2. Like that might be different. And so it took you know, Google and iPhone or Apple, Google anyway, in the early days of Android run this kind of year long cycle. So every year there's a new phone or whatever. Um, and the hardware takes longer. So like, it's interesting to see how um, uh, the next version of these things and what, what shape and form they'll take. I think we'll see all sorts of, all sorts of different types of wearables, pins, pendants, glasses, necklaces, watches, like the watch is another one. And if you're to use the iPhone and chat EPT as the instigating moments of the S-curve that you're talking about. Where would you say we are? Like, are we at the iPhone 4S stage? Oh, no, in the I AI? don't think like, so. I think, I I think we're in one. flashlight app territory still. Yeah, yeah, I with, think so. Um, yeah. I think we're iPhone 1. GPT I think we're the very, very yeah, start. Yeah. Very start. Yeah, H hence we should be all, like, I mean, you know, all of us are guilty of, like, looking at something, thinking it's a bit shit, and, like, God knows I've slagged off the Segway many times. You know, like, but... Um, we're all guilty of it, but I think there's something to the idea that we should be at the start of the exact course, we should be extremely open-minded. Yeah. You know, I think we look back in three, four five years at this generation, you know, these things, I think we look back and we won't be carrying these around necessarily. And there'll be other things happening. Yeah. Um, and the skepticism and criticism today will look quite naive. Mm. Kind of reminded of like, how everyone says like, Oh, what's the, what's the real world application of say blockchain? Like, you know, and that got criticized for so long. And now we're seeing all these like effectively ridiculously convincing fakes. And you're like, oh, well, maybe it would be good to have a single place where you could say this thing definitely happened and I'm definitely responsible for it. Like, I think like so much tech just takes a while to find a home. Um, and like, that's why it's useful to approach these things from a, a more of a, a lab like open minded sort of approach. It's just let's see what's possible. And then maybe some of the stuff will be possible and won't matter for like years. Maybe it'll matter a lot sooner. Um, Paul, you mentioned glasses there. Like, I, I, I think Facebook are onto a total winner with the uh, sunglasses, the Ray-Ban, like, sorry, Meta, the Meta Ray-Bans. Um, the reason I think that is, I think the like the LLM that they have is good. So I think the ability to like see a scenario or see a scene and do something useful with it, which is like translate the menu in your Seville example, is is one obvious application. I also just think like sunglasses are a thing that people already wear. So unlike many other wearables, even like for a lot of people, like you have to convince them to wear a watch to convince them to wear an Apple watch. And you have to convince, or I have to convince somebody to wear a ring first mm. before they can convince them to wear their ring. Whoop have to do the same. Like in a load of cases, sunglasses are not like that. Sunglasses are a thing that you're going to wear a lot of the time. A lot of people wear them all, uh, you know, a good chunk of their life. These take very little hit in the aesthetics for being a tech enabled pair of sunglasses. They still just look like sunglasses. They work like sunglasses. They released the second version just before Christmas there. They're like, you know, twice as good camera, twice as good sound. They have the AI kind of on board, et cetera. Um, I think it's like it, it is on one end of the spectrum where I think it will be an everyday wearable AI powered piece of tech. And then the other end of the spectrum is say maybe Vision Pro, mm. where I think um, Vision Pro is going to be quite expensive it's going to probably be something you will not leave your house with or like not safely leave your house with um 
it's going to be quite an immersive experience that's uh, an entirely different type of, I, I don't even know if you'd call it a wearable, you'd probably just call it like a mm-hmm. different type of computing form. What, um, when you think about wearables, and I know, Emmett, you have like a lot of background in the area, and then like if you think about like, you know, is the watch done for in an area, in, in a world post all this, or do you think the watch will have a resurgence? Do you see watches with cameras where you can point at things? Like, wh- where do you think all this will go? Uh, I'm excited. I think I think the watch has a good chance of being an important form factor. I, like my reaction to the humane pain was like, wow, wow, cool. But I really expect the next version of the Apple Watch, if they've got their skates on, to do 100. Apart from the projection, the camera. The what about palm, the camera? Like, the least. Do you see watches with cameras going? Yeah, I mean, this is a long time ago, but we prototyped them back in the day. There's no, I mean, there's no technical barrier. There's, you know what I mean? So, uh, and, and now this is the timing thing. Uh, and it is funny to hear, like, you talking about ah, now sunglasses with computer, because yeah, yeah. I am still living in the past in which Google Glass is a complete, complete failure, a, you know, fully mistimed. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's what it is. And by the way, they didn't look like sunglasses or glasses. And that was a very important uh, misstep there as well. Whereas the meta ones that you described do, and you can go out and about, and most people won't know that you're wearing a computer on your face, you know? Um, but you were asking me about something else there. Well, I was sort of saying this. On that, I think um, Google Glasses looked like a computer on yeah. your face. And I think something that's incredibly important here is... Um, Ray-Bans are timeless. Like, there there are certain kind of things in fashion or that people yeah, wear, yeah. like Adidas Sambas, timeless. Yeah, you know, yeah. Converse, classic Converse, yeah. timeless. There's just some things that are timeless. And Ray-Bans are timeless. Like, the classic Ray-Bans are timeless. And no matter what's happening, you know, baggy trousers are in, skin tra- skinny trousers are mm. in, it doesn't matter. Ray-Bans will always be there. I think it's an incredibly smart mm-hmm. partnership. Um, and one reason why it might succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm. The original vision for what it's worth for the glasses was a contact lens, right? That could like yeah. beam or whatever that you could see information on directly. And they kind of compromised their way back to the glasses. You realize now that starting yeah. with a chunky pair of hipster sunglasses is a way better place to start there because you can fit a computer in it. So, yeah. Yeah. And people already wear them. Like, yeah. I, I just, I think people overlooked that. Like, but like, you know, when Apple launched the watch, they partnered with like actual watchmakers to like build get straps that made it look like a real watch or yeah. like you know a classic watch and you know there's there's reasons like why uh, like fashion matters when you're asking somebody to wear something twenty four seven and yeah like the Google Glass looked like a lab sort of like, goggles with a computer attached to one corner but just, mm. it was a, yeah. it was a, a bad decision. To be honest, it's a bit. I think a, a mistake a lot of companies make in this space is. Um, they get wrapped up in their own, I guess, kind of ego and, and, and belief. And um, they uh, like to think that the device that they're going to ship will become a status symbol, you know? So, so like um, having it, it's intentionally looks, intentionally looks different. And like people want people, you know, people to turn their like noun into a verb, like I hoover the sitting room, you know, I don't dice in the sitting room. Right? Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. there's this aspiration kind of ego driven that like, no, our thing will look different. Yeah. And I think that's a mistake, yeah. you know, for something like this. And it's yeah. much better to try and fit into people's habits. Like your question earlier, right? you know, why did I not use Google Translate or why did, you know, Google Glass, whatever. Uh, I was kind of, I'm used to now using ChatGPT on my phone. Yeah. Very used to it. It's an app I use quite a lot, increasingly. And so it was very natural to, it was a habit I'd formed already. Yeah. It wasn't a new habit I had to form. Yeah. Makes sense. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. 
It's a new series of candid conversations with intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service, and it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Um, what's your prediction for Vision Pro? I'm keep, definitely keen to try it. it from the demos. This is back to like great keynotes and what's it like. And I bet when you try it, you'll be like, oh, you know, similar to the experience you had with the iPhone. But like, I mean... Uh, the keynote looked excellent to me. Uh, the tech, it looks like they've done a really good technology job. I'm looking forward to trying it out. The social questions around it are, are the more obvious ones. The fact that you'll more than likely use it on your own at home, in your home office or whatever, pro probably gets them out of jail uh, in that regard. So I think it'll be interesting to see, but like something like that, you clearly have to let Apple be Apple and like get back to me in three years and we'll see what they've managed to actually turn it into, you know, in terms of getting the cost down and, and getting the applications to be like more applicable to regular people and so on. I mean, I have a hard time believing it'll be as broadly adopted ultimately as the iPhone. Yeah. But it, they might have another watch or AirPods on their hands, in which case like great, great for them, you know. There's one hardware manufacturer we haven't mentioned. And they haven't released any hardware yet, that's why. Uh, but have you heard the rumors about OpenAI potentially building a <laughs> hardware device? Uh, I, I think OpenAI are in an interesting position right now in that it seems like they're still in the midst of trying to figure out what they want to be. And like what OpenAI might want to be is a hardware company, to your point, a platform services company providing, you know, uh, ChatGPT as a service, um, a consumer company, that app is on the home screen of your phone now and so on. And they'll probably start to- in And the a lab as well. Like. And a lab, right, to gener trying to bring about, gener uh, sorry, general AI, which is probably the, the their, their ultimate top level reason to But like, I think they'll see lots of competition I'm sure you've talked about this before, Des, but like Apple, it'll be very interesting to see what happens when Siri becomes properly AI enabled. And and you were saying like, oh, I got my habit now. ChatGPT is ingrained. Um, most people don't have that habit. And yet that habit will be a lot more ingrained when it's an OS level integrated thing. So I think they'll see a lot more competition on the consumer side 
from startups, things like plugins and, and even their custom GPTs haven't quite, for me at least, you know, um, uh, captured what I expected them to be. And so I think they'll have to figure out what they want to be in the next year. And, and But it does seem like, I mean, good for them, right? But yeah. naturally, the, uh, the hottest company in the world right now, their ambitions are expanding and pointing in many different directions at once. We'll see if they can pull it off because the likes of Meta and Apple who have all that vertical integration and have their own like awesome AI labs and everything probably start from a stronger place longer term. You yeah, know? yeah. yeah. I, I think the one to watch here is Meta. Um, yeah. Like uh, OpenAI, incredible company. Like they've, they've already changed the world. And um, you know, people say that kind of trite, like our company's going to change the world, but they have done it so far. I do think they're in this kind of like, it's so their future is so open and there's so many opportunities you know it'd be interesting to see which one they take um but um and there's other providers too here of course like Anthropic and so on but i think meta have flown under the radar a bit you know and if you kind of start adding up the pieces there's obviously the glasses we've talked about in the hardware but they also have llama and they open sourced it and they've taken it you know open sourcing llama and like really giving it to everyone is a completely different way to play this game yeah. And like you said, they have the integration and it might be, an, and they have like Oculus and all sorts of different kind of pieces of the puzzle. And like WhatsApp. And there's just, there's yeah. an interesting set of tools that they have to approach the problem. Like I'm often, we all have this experience when we go home, uh, which is like the home tech, whatever you want to call it, is is all fragmented as shit. Like you've got like your ring doorbell, your Nest camera, you're, like it's all like every different, your, your Hoover doesn't mm -hmm. talk to this. And then there's like, you know, it's one of those, we love standards. That's why we have so many of them. Like they all have to talk to one device and it, it, nothing works basically. It's, it's been a hodgepodge. I just wonder, will the human end up like that? Where like your glasses talk to Facebook, you, you know, your phone talks to OpenAI, your watch talks to Apple. Or like, will we have that problem or will somebody actually just nail the full kit? I think definitely Apple wants you to be all in on their ecosystem and see it as yet another thing like the watch and the AirPods that hooks you into buying an iPhone every year and so on. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see for us and how we use AI, is there like, I've heard this expressed as the Dunbar's number for bots, right. which is to say, how much room in your life do you have for how many bots? For every single product that you go to, do you want a different co-pilot in the sidebar saying, hey, I'm your like yeah. workday co-pilot and so on. Uh, and you switch over to Intercom and you have one there and, and then you have one at the OS level and another on your phone. And, or is the Dunbar's number for bots like one or two, right? And there's like one that sits on your operating system and one for that tool that you use for your job all day and that's it, you know? Um, messaging like apps, you know, you probably, like how many messaging apps would you say five, you use every maybe. week? Like yeah. three, four, five, most people are probably like, so there's some kind of dynamic that will play out there and maybe you'll have different bots for different personal life, work life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about 2024. Uh, what do we think the future holds, the future being the next 50 weeks? Uh, a lot more and maybe a lot more uh, like a continuation very much of last year because I think we definitely haven't like no. extracted all the juice that there is from this at all and in fact I think there's an AI overhang in a couple of dimensions one is that if the current models didn't change we would still have loads of work to do to work with them optimize them um, and there's probably other you know com more companies will get into training their own models and things like that as well um there's probably also an overhang in terms of consumer readiness to adopt things. Like we're all excited, you know, like last November we were all excited about AI and, you know, 
you were saying there, oh, they've changed the world. I think they're in the midst of, or what they did is is slowly rolling out across the world and uh, or washing across the world and, and changing it slowly. But there's still a lot more like consumer readiness. Most people doing their jobs, even knowledge workers, do not use AI tools all day long to do it. And then the last one is like, we have a lot more products built. A lot of the stuff we saw came, coming out this year were like features that you could put together in a few weeks or a few months. And we'll probably see like some of the first truly AI first companies and products that required a year and a half to get started and built and so on come out this year. So that would be- That reminds me, like someone posts this graph every now and then of like, hey, it was to talk about all how all the startups are gonna die this year um, that would have raised in like 2021, 2022. Uh, if they couldn't raise again, they'd be dying this year. Somebody else, or sorry, maybe I haven't seen it yet, but you can make a similar argument to that, like ChatGPT drops in like November, 2022, a load of like YC startups, a load of uh, companies, in like Q1, Q2 get funded. Like we might start yeah. seeing the fruits of the sort of AI wave landing in market this yeah, year. Like yeah. the, the AI native startup that was born because of ChatGPT is probably realistically coming to market like now about. You know? Yeah, all those dot IO startups, zombie startups are probably ready to pivot to being exactly. dot yeah, AI exactly, startups yeah. as well. So you'll have that too. Does that, uh, Paul, what about you? Yeah, I, I, I just got a continuation of what Emmett said. Like the you mentioned market readiness and so on, um, I think there's an investment question where uh, 2023 I think for a lot of companies now a lot of intercom we actually went deep which which you could unpack too for people but a lot of companies went shallow you know AI okay AI is a thing and um, is it the beginning of this new S curve unsure but hey we better put it on our marketing page and so people built like thin wrappers over kind of ChatGPT or like just really kind of surface level shallow stuff yeah. and. Um, I think what's quickly going to happen is uh, companies are going to um, realize that that's not enough, that this is a fundamental change. And um, a, again, you can draw parallels. I think it's really useful to draw parallels back to the beginning of the last S curve, which was, you know, smartphones, mobile, et cetera. Maybe you could argue clouds in there too. But with phones, you know, there's a lot of times people said things like, that will never work on a phone. No one will ever do that on a phone. Never, never, never. They'll always go back to their laptop. And then lo and behold, two, three, four years later, everyone does it on their phone and doesn't do it on laptop at all anymore. Like totally trans- transforms behavior. And I think we're, we're going to see something similar this year in 2024, where companies are going to, companies who stay shallow with the thin wrappers, I think will start to really struggle. Whether you're a startup doing a thin wrapper or you're like some bigger company with some kind of like, you know, token investment in AI, um, I think you're going to start to really see companies realizing they have to go deep. They need, to, they need to like train all their staff on AI. This isn't like a specialism. Yes, you should have a specialized ML team and all sorts of stuff like that. But like PMs, designers, everyone needs to be fluent in the language of AI. Um, and, and, and you'll start to see deep investments and you'll start to see deep products yeah. come out of that. I think the other parallel that we'll see, um, I'm quite bullish on whenever Apple, you know, ship something in the AI space. Uh, because I think like, iPhone launching and then kind of iOS becoming the sort of standard for like for like what software people are used to just raised the bar for design across many aspects of like our lives in general, but certainly our software. And I think um, because of that, everyone had to get kind of get good. And it kind of, in my opinion, it kind of gave birth to like the the post 
web to ux but like raw product design like the sort of the emergence of say dribble and all that like just people yeah. really caring about the aesthetics in a deep way i think that all flowed from iphone like it just got to the point where like the stocks app on your phone was better designed than every piece of software on your desktop and mm -hmm. people started to try and change that so the parallel is i think um apple will launch something in ai uh siri will become ai powered or something like that and it'll become probably be quite good not not even because apple are quite good in this case but just because the llms are already quite good you know as in talking to chat gpt is already pretty impressive so you can imagine it when it's able to like do things inside software on your phone and you can imagine just like uh, all the stuff you would have loved to have been able to do with siri you can now do and probably similar for alexa too um but I think that will change consumer readiness for AI and it'll change the expectations for AI where it'll just feel really like um, like Stone Age when you have to do all the pointy clicky shit when you actually just want to say, order me a pepperoni pizza or whatever, right? And I'm not trying to dig up the earlier discussion we had, but like there'll be a load of cases where it's, it's very easy to say the thing you want to happen and it's very precise to say the thing you want to happen and you don't feel the need to validate the thing you want to happen. So you, you sort of new... Like, I think it could give rise to the, like, just, you know, uh, talk or text as the, the new kind of core input to software. But I think Apple are, like, going to be the largest driver here. Google to some degree as well. But I think that will kind of change market readiness, which will then make it so that every B2B SaaS provider is like, oh, shit. Turns out people are now used to talking to their products. I guess we better get on board with that. And so I think, I think that will be, like, kind of a... In the same way that 15 years ago, they were like, turns out design matters yeah. and this can't look yeah. like dog shit. Get us somebody yeah. who understands typography or something. You yeah. know, like, uh, so I think that will be a big thing. Um, Emmett, Paul, what about our own world, customer support? What do we think will change in the sort of era of uh, uh, post-AI yeah. or, or during AI? <laughs> Big, big caveat that like none of this is a prediction or if it's a fool's game really doing predictions i think but um the the change around design actually if you'll allow me to go on a riff here uh r reminds me of the parallel like if you go further back it's obviously not ai but like 30 years ago before desktop publishing software it was exacto knives and pots of paint and that was how you did publishing and then that process got completely upended with desktop publishing software right so design has been was reinvented completely already and i'm sure a new iteration of the tools will come along and do the same um but it changes the nature of the work as well it's back to the zelda conversation where we were like work really hard craft everything comes back to zelda eventually. <laughs> i'll be waiting <laughs> yeah. uh paul has had a drink with me before and realizes this happens all the time uh, but like, you know, working towards that point of like hitting publish and then the thing is out there in the world forever versus working iteratively, I think customer service, to answer your question, might undergo a similar change. There, there's a book called Finite and Infinite Games by James Carris, and it, 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 it it's this model for thinking about systems and it calls things games, but really systems in the world. There are games that you play that might be finite, which are... The rules are externally defined, there's an end and there's a win state for the game that you're playing or the model that you're interacting with or whatever. And strange, uh, 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 and that's similar to like publishing something out there and putting it out there into the world forever. We, we are now, design changed to an infinite game once we especially started shipping things to the web and getting much more iterative about the work that we were doing and the game becomes less about building a brilliant thing than building the 
most likely directional thing the fastest and changing trading speed off against your likelihood for being correct and so on. So customer service, what will happen? I think it'll shift to more like an infinite game from, let's say, resolving as many tickets in an hour as you can, right? And that like very top-down defined, externally defined success criteria. Um, and even the end the idea stage is close the ticket and get rid of it. I was going to say, the idea of resolving is actually even part of it, right? Yeah, like you yeah, you yeah. think it's done at some point. And then you think about that shifting, you're like, well, all the those things get sorted, crudely speaking. Then the job of customer service becomes about building the relationship on an ongoing basis with this person who's a customer on an ongoing basis with you because they're paying you a subscription every month or whatever. Um, so the success criteria, like is CSAT or is number of tickets resolved as important in that world? I would suggest they wouldn't be. Maybe we'll have new stats or new ways of measuring success that becomes more likely. But broadly speaking, I like to think about it shifting from this finite bounded game towards much more of a an infinite game in the terms of that book that I'm talking about. Cool. Paul, any ideas? Uh, sorry, just on that one real quick. I think like you gave me the example before of like a, a soccer match or football match as a as a finite game. Mm. And like this this is really stretching the analogy probably, but like you know, tennis is a finite game. You've got two players back and forth, points end, games end, the match ends. And customer service is a bit like that, you know, like where you've kind of got a, a customer asking questions or many customers asking questions, literally hitting tennis balls yeah. over the net and someone trying to like literally hit them back, hit them back, hit them back. And the shift ends. And, you know, for the most part, most customer service workers, I'd imagine post shift, don't think a lot about all those shots they have to play back or whatever. And so I think not only does the like, like everything changes there, not just the like seaside or measurement, but the culture does too, mm. like the culture within the team. And then you'll probably end up with people having two like split roles, basically, where um, you have people who are playing the infinite game, building relationships, all that yeah. kind of stuff, and people designing the game. You, you know what I mean? So like the system will need to be designed, orchestrated. Um, so a lot of people are going to start doing things like work out when do bots answer, making sure that it's good quality control, all sorts of stuff like that, which is a, a much higher impact, higher level job, I think. So I think it's cool. It's cool to think about. It's exciting to think about. It's all for what it's worth. Like it's interesting to note that a lot of language, you know, resolving queries, and you were saying, oh, even built into that is the concept that it's done in business as well. There's a lot of this like finite thinking, which is, you know, we are going to win and we're going to beat the competition. And you're like, well, you've only beaten them until they beat you again. You know what I mean? Like neither of you is going out of business, and so it's a useful mental model for thinking about not just customer support. <laughs> To get back to our actual disciplines, um, my kind of last question is, um, how do we think uh, the disciplines of, say, design and product will change over the next year, given what we've seen happen, given the nature of the software we expect to be developed in the coming year? Like, Emma, you lead a large team of designers here. How do you think design changes uh, post-AI? Uh, uh Again, very difficult to make precise predictions here. The tools might like and the capabilities of the tools will obviously lead the conversation and, and people will follow the tools that like serve them best. And, and so that will drive the changes. Um, but I have thought about this a bit and chatted to people on the team. We have a design principle on the Intercom design team um, that says that we should build things um, simple by default, but flexible under the hood. Make it easy to do the obvious common things, but if you really want the power, there's some uh, progressive disclosure you can dive in. And I think we'll probably try and figure out something similar for AI where like 
this is a bit back to what you were asking about, like, what's it suitable for? What's it good at and what it's not? What's it not? And so uh, a lot of those things where, you know, things can be automated by default and then, yeah, manual under the hood, uh, uh, I think might be a principle that we might be adopt. Personally, maybe I'm just living in the past or not able to detach myself mentally from the current model. I still think we'll have plenty of manual UI. I don't think every UI is going to turn into a chat box with a blinking cursor in it um, because a lot of the precision, precision deterministic stuff that we were talking about is better served by clicking on a precise point or choosing from an exact item on a list or whatever it might be. Um, but we will see a lot of that stuff. Like the obvious prediction here, by the way, is like, everything goes a bit more chat-based. You just type commands yeah. and instead of clicking on things, and I think that will happen because the Workday example you cited, although small and simple, is way better, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't think, or at least I'd be surprised if we saw the nature of, I think it'll be more additive than replacing of the existing GUI uh, interface. The, the way I think about that um, is, First of all, yes, you want precision input. Like no one wants to like wrestle with a text area to try and explain what they mean when they can just click on the area mm. and drag or whatever it is mm. they need to do. So I think that bit's true. I think where designers need to get good is understanding the capabilities of AI so that they don't end up producing beautiful designs for things that literally shouldn't exist in a post AI world. As in, like, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a simple example here. Like, but like. Um, I'm trying to invent a product in my head and then invent a use case in the product. But like the the argument I, I guess I'm making is uh, some stuff can just be literally done by AI. Like say, pick the winner from this set of uh, mm. adverts that we might run based on its LTV CAC uh, data, right? You could imagine a workflow where you like, you drag them around and you like, you sort the table and all that sort mm. of stuff. Or you can imagine a decision the designer made, which is just noted somewhere in Figma as a little text asterisk somewhere, which is, pick the winner automatically mm. and that's like uh that to me is you know you know elon musk has that algorithm of the first thing you have to do is get rid of all the things you know r remove all the components before you start optimizing mm -hmm. remove the shit that doesn't need to be there I, I just wonder in a post ai world if designers truly understand what ai is capable and reliable for is there a lot of stuff that actually doesn't need to exist mm. that like and that if they don't understand ai they might end up designing uh, mm. whereas in practice that design is irrelevant uh, the barrier to building products is probably way lower, right? Not just because um, uh, uh, coding GPT assistant type things like Copilot uh, can write a lot of the code for you and you can be a lot faster, but because you probably can, if you're a startup, just build the text version of the thing and not have the manual fallback. And so you probably see it approach from lots of different yeah. sides there. Paul, what about product management? Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear, hear you talk about that. Um, I, I actually like have a, you know, we, for, for all of this conversation, we're, we're like, you know, clearly all in an AI, believe in it, believe in its potential power, very positive conversation. Uh, I have a concern to kind of like play a different side of this for a second. Um, what like, you think about product management, what makes a great product manager? I think the best product managers probably have three core attributes. Uh, one is they're extremely strong at critical thinking, right? They can like look at something objectively. They can take in all the input, really think about like, what's true and therefore what the implications might be. So they're really good at critical thinking. They're extremely progress oriented. So they want to make the, all the time progress, 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 you know, building, shipping, learning, you know, looping. And obviously communication is the third category. And I actually do have like, you know, it's what makes a bad project, product manager. Like, you know, 
glorified project management, effectively, like not critically thinking about anything yeah. and just kind of like moving the trains along the tracks, whatever. And so like brilliant product managers are great at critical thinking. Um, and maybe that's the defining characteristic. And I, and I kind of worry a bit that in an AI world where you can do things like don't listen to the customer interviews directly, hey, AI, please summarize these 12 interviews. Or like, don't write the product strategy yourself or don't write the product brief uh, yourself. Click the magic wand, the magic wand and that will generate the thing that you then just yeah. click send to the team. Suddenly, like there's a world where AI accidentally turns a lot of these otherwise w otherwise would have been brilliant product managers into the bad type where yeah. they're more like project management. So literally like, you know, click, magic wand, fill, send, right, next problem. And because, they're, because these people are progress oriented, they're going to probably want to click magic wand a lot. And so like, um, there's something there to, to, to keep an eye on that. Like we, and not just, this probably applies to lots of jobs, not just product management, yeah, yeah. that we don't lose the ability to think critically. Um, I think there's a part there, which is just the details matter, right? Like, uh, cause it, it, you know, I could argue like, um, a CS person might say, well, you're okay with me clicking the magic wand to answer this question. And you don't seem to see an issue with that. Like, why is it the, um, why is it that, you know, your crew, the PMs are somehow like, you know, uh, the, the, like uh, understood to be so much more important uh, in terms of what they write or whatever. But I, I think like details matter. And, and I think like the difference between say like, like generally speaking, um, there is one answer to a customer support question. Like as in how does blah work? The answer for blah is that. And like, so, so as a result, the, the, like the input output matching is pretty, pretty tight. Something like, what is our strategy for redesigning Messenger or something like that? It should be a pretty open-ended thing. And if the AI can guess it, we'd have to wonder, is it a strategy at all? Like, you know, because what is, you know, you know, if you've any, like, I don't have a great de degree of understanding of how, like, large language models work, but I, I have, I know that they focus on something that looks like an answer as opposed to, like, a really strong opinionated piece. Same reason, like, I, I don't really believe, like, in, um, in LLMs is, like, are going to be, like, particularly compelling fiction writers because they lack the probably the ability to properly surprise you or whatever, because they're not trying to surprise you. They're trying to do things that look like things that should happen or whatever. So I, I, I do worry about the, like the magic wand creation for product managers, for project managers, for generally speaking, like uh, in a lot of cases, like anywhere where the details really, really matter. Uh, and then in, in writing, in like in fiction writing, I just I'd argue like the word choice matters because you're actually, you know, the, the complexion of the, of the piece matters greatly. So I just, I worry that in general, um, if the path to efficiency is from is true, if the path to PM efficiency is true, not caring about the details either in the output or in the summarization of all the user feedback, you're just going to end up with some real vanilla ass shit, right? Like, yeah, I think it, I think it applies to both cases though. Like, in I'll go back to PM in a sec. But in customer service, um, it's absolutely the case that um, lots and lots of questions have one correct answer. I think in the future, bots will answer all those questions anyway. Yeah. And like the, we'll, we'll have like an interim period where people will click magic wands and it'll pre-fill and we'll have co-pilots and so on. But ultimately, like, um, those will be answered by bots. Yeah. And I think the other, I think the other type of query will, will, that shows up in customer service a lot is the more complex query. It's the like troubleshooting query. It's the like, you know, people write in like, uh, my, thing, my, pro my thing doesn't work. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay, we don't mean anything. And then, like, you're trying to work through the problem, and you know, it could be all sorts of stuff. And so, like, um, I think in lots of cases, you don't want customer service people to click the magic wand either, yeah. you know. Um, and so then you can apply the reverse to both sides. I'm sure there. I'm sure in PM land, there's plenty of time where 
uh, the AI can help people write and yeah. you know can accelerate work for sure. Yeah. But it's the I go back to the critical thinking part and I go back to like judgment. Um, you know, great product managers have great judgment. Where does great judgment come from? Experience, like listening directly yeah. to customer details. interviews, yeah. the details, like yeah. Yeah. and yeah. It, it just going yeah. in and. Yeah. Your brain is incredibly good at synthesizing and summarizing. And um, yeah. The other thing, though, is writing is an incredibly good method of thinking, right? You might think you know what you think, and then you try and write it down, and you realize, shit, I didn't at all. But then you struggle through for an hour, and you actually manage to like get your thoughts out. And then when writing is free, you, it, it also, like, you're less forced to do that as well. So on the other hand, I wonder, like, as the as the cost of generating writing like goes to near zero, maybe the value does as well. <laughs> like, I you think know? that's possible. Um, like where uh, there's a bunch of PM docs, right? Meeting notes or whatever, things like that, that probably are awesome. Give me the, the uh, AI generated version, no problem. It's the thinking that you don't want to Correct. lose the ability yeah. to do. Yeah. And writing is intrinsically tied up in thinking, especially the more remote we go as well, because I write something, I think through writing it, I send it to you, you give me your feedback, blah, blah, blah. That, that's a great example, though, because the, the, you know, the kind of three I had, like critical thinking, communication, progress, like the meeting notes thing is communication. And that's where I can really help. Like, yeah. you know, great part, you, know, you think like, oh, the best product managers I've ever worked with. They weren't the ones who were the best at taking meeting notes and sending them out. Now they're good. At, they're typically good at that too, but that's not what makes them great. That's yeah. undifferentiated, right? Yeah, totally. Does, doesn't make them great. What makes them great is the critical thinking piece. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we a long way away from a magic wand creating a new bullshit PM framework that turns into a blog post sure and goes viral? Already. <laughs> I'm sure it's yeah. out there already. Cool. Yeah. We, we have overran by about forty minutes. So oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I will say thank you, Paul. Thank you, Emmett. This has been Intercommer Product, and thank you all for listening. Yeah.